quarantined, uh, stir crazy, he's feeling fine, uh, ready to be back with us. But uh, in the meantime, the Father still delivers his word. God still brings his word to us. And we will return to our journey through Colossians. Uh, So if you have your Bible with you, we will be there in chapter 1. And and as you turn there, uh, just to be thinking about Again, this letter, and thinking about Paul, right? Paul is writing some pretty amazing truths uh, to a group of people, a group of believers uh, in this Colossian church who are dealing with the same kinds of struggles uh, that we do, same things we deal with. Uh, They were living in a culture that prized things like religious performance, various supernatural experiences, uh, achieving some sort of higher knowledge or wisdom, sort of just achieving something that says, all right, I'm in, I'm good, I've arrived. And they lived in a culture that celebrated those things, and the believers were tempted to think, well, to live a life pleasing to God, maybe there's something else in addition to Christ. We're tempted by the same things today, aren't we? But Paul prays for these believers. And this passage that we have before us, we're going to be uh, in chapter 1, again, verses 9 through 14. It's a prayer. Paul actually wrote his prayer down for the Colossian church. Let me read it for us now. This is God's word. Starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. This is God's word. Let's give him thanks for it now. Father, we do thank you for giving us your word, for reminding us of the truth when we so easily forget it. Lord, I pray that your word would go out in power this morning that it would reach down to the depths of our heart, changing us, making us more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. We ask this for your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Uh, From time to time, I'll talk about some of our experiences in England, right? You know, we lived there for a couple of years. Uh, Some of you know that, some of you may not. Uh, We were in London uh, for one particular instance where Silas was about... uh, He was six months old, maybe less, and we had to go to the U.S. Embassy to report that he uh, existed in the eyes of the U.S., right? We had to give him a passport and uh, register his birth and all that sort of thing. So we're in London, we're pushing around the stroller, and he's, you know, a few months old, and the London Underground, it's like the subway system there. If you've ever been to London, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Now, we had to use that to get around. It's one of the best ways to get around. There's a... I may be off on this number, there's like maybe 10 million people in London, and at rush hour, it feels like 9 million of them are trying to ride the underground, 
uh, and I didn't think about this at the time, but we were trying to get back. We had done what we needed to do, and we were trying to get back on the tube, back to the train station to get back to the northwest to get home. And it's about rush hour. And so we get down on the platform, and the first uh, tube comes by. I mean, it's packed. You couldn't even, like, pour a glass of water between everybody. <laughs> so we're like, well, let's wait for the next one. Maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be a, a little lighter. The next one comes in, same thing. Well... Okay, we've got to get back to our train. Next one comes through, still packed. I'm looking at Michelle. I'm like, okay, I'm going to push the stroller and push our way into this train because we've got to get home. We're going to miss the train. <laughs> now, uh, by the way, each time the train comes through, the subway, the underground, that you'll hear an electronic voice says, mind the gap, mind the gap. And it's the few inches between the platform and the train. And if, again, if you've been there, you've heard that. Well, for us, the gap was not just those few inches, but it was the fact that we had to make, catch our train on time so we could actually get home that day. That was, the gap was like miles, not just a few inches across that platform, but we had to get on there. So I just say, Michelle, I'm plowing. I'm pushing the stroller in. Silas is pushing the way in. Follow me. And so I pushed the way onto the train, and everybody's looking at us like, what's the deal? And it was sort of like there's this unwritten rule that you don't use a stroller on the underground in London during rush hour. But we did it anyway. <laughs> um, but we were trying to mine that gap. Not just a few inches, but getting onto the crowded train to get back home on time so we didn't miss our train home. That was the gap we were trying to mine. What about our just daily lives? Do you feel a gap sometimes between... What we believe, what we know to be true, and how we live. It, if you're honest, I, I see it in my own life just about every day. So if we're honest, I think we can probably all say we see that gap. There's something that exists between what we're called to be and to do and then how we live our lives. And we say, well, sometimes we wrestle with that. When we, when we come to terms with it, we're like, what's wrong with me? If I belong to Christ, why does this still happen? Why do I still struggle with sin over here? Why can't it look like this all the time? What's up with this gap? How do we, how do we span the gap? How do we mine this gap? Because the reality is the gap is there between what we know and how we live. And the problem we face is how do we cover it? God's word here, through Paul's prayer, addresses the very issue. So what's the answer, Paul? What do we need to know? What is this knowledge that we talk about? This knowledge, as I said, the first point there, knowledge for worthy living. What do I need to know, Paul? Well, I've got uh, sort of three types of people in my mind. So some of us, maybe we know a lot of our, we know our doctrine. We know a lot of theology. I got a lot of stuff in here. I know my Bible memory verses, like I've got stuff in here, and I think, okay, what else do I need to read? Is there another book, maybe, that I need to get my hands on to, to get this knowledge that Paul's talking about? Maybe I still don't know enough, but I, I feel like I know a lot, right? There's some of us that, we got a lot in here. Some of us feel like we don't know much at all. Like this all feels very new. I feel like a, a baby. I feel like I don't know anything. And I'm surrounded by people that do know a lot. And I, I don't even know where to start. What's the right book to crack open? I don't know what I need to know. Some of us, maybe, some of us here, some of us that we know, people out there, 
say, you know, I don't really want to know. I don't want to know about God. I, don't, I think it's wrong. I, I'm not into that stuff. I've, I've seen it, been there, done that. And I, don't, I don't want it. So what's this kind of knowledge that Paul's actually talking about? You know, I spend a fair amount of time with non-Christians. And uh, uh, in this part of the world, they've had some sort of church experience. And uh, one of the most common themes I hear is just a frustration with hypocrisy. And then I look at myself, I'm like, man, yeah, sometimes I can be a hypocrite too. I think we all can. All human beings will practice hypocrisy in some way. And it's uh, saying we know something over here, but it's not always lining up over there with how we live, right? That's everybody. I think every human being has that in some way. But it becomes frustrating. So what's the answer? It, it can't be just no more, Right? We may know an awful lot. It can't just be no more. Though study is good. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But that can push us down the road of just telling and presenting without living. Paul knew a ton about God. Man, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He studied under one of the best. He said, according to the law, I was blameless. And then I met Jesus. And it was like, I felt like all I knew was like stuff you flush down the toilet. <laughs> like dung. It was all loss compared to the worth of knowing Christ. Uh, let's be honest, we've all probably like Facebook stalked somebody before, right? Yeah, you can be honest. We've all done it. Maybe it's a coworker that you don't really know that well, but your friend's on Facebook and you see... Uh, you see all their posts, you see the, the family photos and the vacation pictures and all the fun stuff, and you, you kind of get a sense that you feel like you know them, right? But you've never really had a conversation with them. And then one day you see their profile picture and the, the spouse is no longer in the picture, and you're like, what's that? And you start asking around, and you hear, the, oh, they've, they've separated, and you're like, that's so weird, they seem so happy, everything seemed great, what's going on? The reality is, we didn't actually know them. <laughs> we knew a lot about them because we see all these posts, but we'd never had a conversation about like, hey, how's life? How's the family? How's this? How's that? We, do you know what I'm talking about? We, know, we feel like we know a lot of people, but it's through social media and we've never had the conversation. Do you know the difference between knowing about God and knowing him? We know about Jesus as the Savior, and that's different from knowing Jesus as my Savior. I know about the fact that he died for sin, but it's different from saying he died for my sin. I know he exists, I know he's out there, but do we know him? <clears throat> do you know Jesus? Paul's not speaking about knowing information, knowing facts. Again, not bad. We should study. We should know as much as we can. We should memorize as much scripture as possible. We should know our theology and doctrine. But if it comes apart from knowing a person, then it's not going to do us any good. You know, Paul's not talking about knowing information. He's also not talking about here where he says in verse 9... That you be filled with knowledge of his will 
spiritual wisdom and understanding. He, he's actually here not so much talking about the personalized knowledge and wisdom like, oh, uh, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? person? Should I buy this house? Um, it's not the kind of knowledge he's really referring to here. This is not, it's not a personalized knowledge. It is a broad, sweeping knowledge for all believers because it's knowledge that is knowing a person, not knowledge of information. It's knowing, know, knowing his will. It says knowledge of his will. Knowing his will is sort of like knowing his heart, knowing what he loves, knowing his character. You know, uh, my second oldest, Evie, she's an animal lover. She loves animals. And for me to know that about her is knowing her. So it's not so much about me needing to know, like, okay, Evie, do you, what do you want me to do for you today? I don't have to know that if I know that she loves animals. I know that I can take her to the zoo and she's going to have one of the best days of her life. Because she loves animals. And so it's knowing her heart. Knowing what's special. Knowing what pleases her and then wanting to love her for in, in that if, if that makes sense do we know God's heart do we know what he loves knowing that that type of knowing will produce a kind of wisdom and understanding in this world that will be sort of like seeing the world through God's eyes that's the kind of knowledge that Paul's talking about that he prays for for us in this passage, that's the, the knowledge for worthy living that he's talking about, that leads to wisdom, that leads to understanding, that leads to knowing how to, to navigate this world by seeing it through God's eyes. So, if that's the knowledge, what does this worthy living actually look like? Well, he goes on, verse 10. He says, so, so uh, he's praying, so know this knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. No, we might kind of bump into that. Like, wait, worthy of the Lord? Fully, Paul, you said fully pleasing? Fully pleasing to God? That doesn't feel like me. I don't think I'm fully pleasing to God. I don't know about you, but that's sort of, we kind of bump into that. And like, whoa, I didn't see that there. I didn't see that in the passage. That kind of hit me, came out of nowhere. You know, what are, we, what are we looking for when we talk about worthy living? What do we think about? How do we answer the question, what does the Christian life look like? How do we answer that question? Why am I a Christian? Have you ever wrestled with that question? Could, we could come up with a lot of things. We've heard a lots of things. We probably, if we're honest, there's things that would pop out of us uh, that come out of our gut sometimes. Like, well, I, I, I wanted to make my parents proud. I, I want to be a better person. I want a deeper spiritual experience. I want to live a blessed life. I don't want to be wrong. We could add to that. We could come up with lots of things for what's the Christian life look like? Why am I a Christian. But again, so often I can see it in myself, and perhaps you're like me, we can see self-focused reasons. Those, all those things I just listed are self-focused things. We can so easily fall into this 
way of living that is self-referenced. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Self-reference. So I am my own reference point in this world. And everything needs to sort of fit into how I see it and how I want it to go and, what, and what's pleasing to me. <laughs> right? Don't we do that? We want things to go in a way that pleases us. And it's sort of hard to think outside of that, right? Because I'm the only one that sits in these shoes. I don't sit in anyone else's shoes. So that's the only way I can see this world is through these eyes. <laughs> It's kind of weird to think about being outside of that. But the, we get self-referenced. It so easily happens. And we live in a culture that just feeds that. I, I don't know if you've seen the uh, documentary, the, the Social Dilemma. Uh, it's really interesting, but it talks about the, all these uh, corporations like Facebook and Google and uh, Instagram and YouTube, all these things that have these feeds, right? It's interesting they call it a feed. They're feeding us. <laughs> but it has, they, they've created this thing called an algorithm, and I don't understand all of it, but they explained it in a way that made some sense, where it's like a math problem or an equation that's in a computer locked away somewhere on a server that learns you. It knows what you're into. It knows who you are. It knows what you slow down on on your news feed. It knows what you like to see, what you like to hear. And guess what? It just keeps feeding it to you. Because why? They want to get more ads on that screen. So the longer you can look at it, the longer they keep you going, the more money they're making. It's designed to feed us with more of self, more of what we're into, more of what we want to hear. And they talk about in this documentary how that just entrenches us going down this rabbit hole of being surrounded by nothing but things and people that agree with us and uh, things we want to see. And so that you know, we look out and we see what's not us and we're like, why does everybody else not agree with me? <laughs> right? The point is, this algorithm just feeds what's already in there. We want to be about self, and God's saying, I want to set you free from that. Have you ever been hit by the humbling yet freeing reality that this life ain't about us? <laughs> it's humbling, <laughs> it hurts sometimes. <laughs> But it's also freeing, right? It sets us free from this striving, this ceaseless, I can't get enough. That's why we stumble over verse 10. When it says living a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. It's like, wait, what about fully pleasing to me too? Well, it doesn't matter as much. <laughs> but listen to the simple freedom of living God-referenced. All right, listen, just the, there's four things that Paul lays out here that, that describe this worthy living. Bearing fruit in good work. Don't we all want to be fruitful with our lives? We want to accomplish something, do something that was good. Increasing in knowing God. Now again, remember, that's the knowledge thing we talked about. That's a relational knowledge, not just information. Being strengthened by his power. Notice he, he, he gives a reason for that strength. He says, you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For, here's the reason why, for endurance and patience and joy. Who all would like to have more of that? Me. I would. And he says, giving thanks to the Father. Living a thankful life. Thankful for someone outside of us. <laughs> thankful to, to God the Father. 
Think about what happens as we think about how this plays out in our lives. What happens when we're going down the rabbit hole of self, when we're living to please ourselves? Uh, it's a life that's la- that lacks endurance because it's living from one roller coaster high to the next. Like, oh, maybe that'll do it for me. No, no, maybe this will, no. It's like living for the weekend, right? You just sort of go and keep going. It's like, what's the next thing that maybe you'll do it for me? So there's no real endurance. You're just riding. There's no patience, Patience for self or patience for anyone else because everybody else is trying to play that game too. I'm not patient with anybody that's not working for me. (laughs) There's no joy. There's no joy-filled thankfulness because nothing's ever quite enough. Do you see good fruit? Do you see fruit and good work in your life? Do you see intimacy with the Lord growing you see endurance in your life? If not, what's getting in the way? There's no condemnation in Christ. Let's just have the opportunity to be honest about it and wrestle with it. What's getting the way, in the way of a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Christ? We all want that. We dig down deep enough, we're going to find that we all want that. And I would even venture to guess non-Christians are desiring the same thing and just don't know it because it's actually what we were created for. So, all right, knowledge for worthy living. There's the picture of worthy living, but you say, all right, hold on a second. Hold on, Michael. Like, if we're riding down the road, you're pulling the e-brake and we're pulling over the side of the road. You're like, wait a second. What if I don't feel worthy? What if I don't feel worthy? Like waking up from a dream, you hear all this great stuff, and you're like, but wait a second, I know me. I know what's in my past. I know who I am. I'm not worthy. How do I live a worthy life if I'm not worthy? (laughs) How do I live a worthy life if my every other thought is displeasing to the Lord? If every day I do something that makes me unworthy? If everyone in the room knew my past, present even, and they knew what was really inside of me, they'd clear out of the room. How am I going to live a worthy life? I, uh, track and field was my sport in high school. And uh, high jump was my favorite event. I wasn't particularly great at it, but I enjoyed it. I was okay. And every meet, there were... Come to the time of having the high jump event, and everybody'd gather up all the competitors, and they'd set the bar at a particular height to start, and everybody'd have their go with that. And if you jumped over that, then you got to keep competing. If you didn't make that initial height, your result recorded for you was DNQ. Did not qualify. Thankfully, most of the your average meets, I was able to make that first height and keep going. But at state level competitions, all right, that's where all the best in the state come together. They'd set it higher because they knew they could because they got the best there and they don't have to weed through all the lesser folks. And they, one year I remember they set it at six foot four. Okay, I'm six foot one, so about here. I'm like, okay, I've never done this. I think my best was six foot two and I thought that was amazing. I'm like, well, I'm going to do this. I got it. I can jump this. This will be my new record. And so I go and I jump and knock it down. And you get three tries, so I go and try again and knock it down. Go and try again and knock it down. And so I had the walk of shame to leave the high jump area back to the coach to say, well, 
Sorry, didn't do it this year. <laughs> and my results were DNQ, did not qualify. You can relate to this in some way in life, right? Whether it be trying to get a job, trying to get into school, trying to get into this or that, and you hear the, mm, you just don't qualify. Just not enough. Try harder. Try more. Try next time. Where are you? Where are you? Some of us have worked very hard to know a lot of things, to try to live a good life, to try to be a good person so that we can convince ourselves that we do qualify. The problem there is that's in our own effort. But we work very hard. Some of us do that. Some of us don't feel like we've got a clue on what that even looks like. And we consign ourselves every day. We get up in the morning thinking, well, I'm a failure again. And so we live a life of despair because we know we don't qualify and we just give up on it. And then some of, us, some of us have gotten so frustrated with the comparison game and the trying harder to do better and all of that and we've just walked away from it altogether. Many of the non-Christians I talked to have said, well, I tasted that version of Christianity and that ain't it. And so they walk away from it. But the problem is all three of those views, right? Trying harder keep continuing to convince myself that I'm qualified or consigning to myself to say I'm not or just rejecting it altogether. They're all misguided views of true Christianity. They're all misguided. Because here's the truth. All right. I want you to, if you don't take anything else away from this morning, take this. Because after Paul paints this picture of what a worthy life looks like, the last thing he says there is giving thanks to the Father here's the beautiful part. The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If you don't get anything else, take that. He goes on. He doesn't just leave it there. He says, he says he's qualified you. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness. And he's transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. It ain't about what we do. What he has done. That is the truth of the gospel. Believers, brothers and sisters, this truth invites us to, set, to step off things like the shame cycle. The over and over again, well, I, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do better, I'm going to be better. And then what? We fall on our face. And then we feel shame. And then we come back around and say, well, I've got to do better again so I can be worthy of God. And then it happens again. Again, we step off of that. This truth invites us to get off of that. To get off the frustration roller coaster of being frustrated with yourself and everyone else because it just it doesn't seem to work. Nothing seems to work. To get off the joyless, frantic merry-go-round that everyone else seems to be on. Some of you here are questioning a lot of things. I get it. There's a lot of things to question out there. We're all seeking the right knowledge. How do we go about this? How do we handle this issue well? How do we go about this and that? But before we know it, we're trying to piece together our own version of knowledge and wisdom and how to do things right. <clears throat> Study is good. Study is good. But just trying to find that knowledge and wisdom that we think we can piece together for ourselves is an endless search in an endless library. 
resting in being found qualified by God the Father, that is a kind of knowing, a kind of wisdom, and a kind of understanding that results in worthy living, that results in rest, that results in joy and endurance. That day in London, knowing that we had to get on that tube to, get, to catch our train on time, to get home that day, that was, what, that was our motivation for minding that gap. And it was a few inches, but it was also the miles to get home. That was our motivation, and we plowed our way onto that packed train to do it. <laughs> There's another kind of knowing that changes me. Uh, just as an example, it's knowing my wife. Knowing that, that 14 years ago when she said, I do, she said, I qualify you as my husband. <laughs> you are my husband. But here's the issue. I, I know the gap between what I'm called to be as a husband and what I actually do sometimes. There's a gap. But closing that gap is not so much about, well, I need to do better. I need to be better because I need, I need to do it for me. It's because she said, no, you're... You're qualified. You're my husband. That is a change. I vowed to that. And knowing that makes me want to close that gap. Because she loves me that much. The gap is minded by the fact that I am already been named her husband. Believers, God the Father has already qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. That's the truth that minds the gap. That's the truth that brings us closer to what we know we're called to be and what we're actually doing. You'll never be able to put enough effort in to close that gap. It's resting in the reality that this is already you, how God sees you. You are already qualified. Whatever striving we're doing, whatever comparison games we play with one another to try to figure out, well, you know, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not like that person over there, then we try to play this qualifying game. And we can quit all of that because the beautiful, humbling, freeing truth, again, is that this life is not about us. It's not about how well we're doing. It's not about what we know. It's not about how much better we think we are than the person we are with. It is about a holy God and pleasing Him. And it's actually in our created DNA. It will be our we will be fulfilling our created purpose and we'll be resting and at peace when we live more and more into that. So I simply invite you, believer, to, sur- to, to once again surrender to this reality. If you don't know Christ, I invite you off the, the crazy train of seeking to try to achieve that on your own and surrender to the reality that Christ has accomplished for you what the Father qualifies you to be, to share in the same inheritance. It's the most freeing thing in the world. I invite you to surrender to it today. Let's pray. Father, your word is food for our souls. The gospel revives us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would protect us from running back to old ways to try to 
qualify ourselves for you and to rejoice in the fact that you have qualified us through your son Jesus. May that reality drive us. May that reality close the gap that is the fact that you have done it. We thank you for this truth. In Christ's name, amen.